You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for The Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you. And I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games. As long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Hi everyone, Luke from the Broken Meeple here, and why is that page not showing? Let's get it up there, haha. <laughs> How you doing guys? Uh, episode 10 of the video podcast, so we're on to double digits finally with this new Broken Meeple show, and it's been quite a, I say a tiring day, not, not in the sense of, oh my god, I've been so hard at work, but just the fact that I've been doing quite a lot of different things, and suddenly it's like all piled up. So I've done my chores, I've done my cooking, done stuff like that, but I've been playing quite a lot of games today in solo mode. So on the table right now is a Marvel Champions game I just did, but the Once in Future Kang scenario, I'll talk about that a bit later. But then I also played some solo games of Village Green, I'm going to talk about that later. I've also played a solo Seven Wonders Duel game, which I did a recording for, so you will get a solo play video of that one. Uh, you're also going to get a solo play video of Village Green, funny enough. And yeah, you, your brain just sort of gets a bit tired after that. And I suppose the last three days have been pretty exhausting as well because, as you can see on the screen there, I have streamed my last 30 games of the top 100. Yes, the top 100 is finally done. And I know that sounds like I'm relieved. I am half relieved. You know, I do enjoy doing the top 100. I'm glad you guys get a kick out of it. But it's a slog to do because it's a lot of effort to do the videos. In fact, it would have been November time by the time I'd pre-recorded another three videos to get out because of all the stuff I'm doing. So to stream it actually came in handy. And they turned out a lot better than I thought they would. I was afraid that people wouldn't watch them or wouldn't necessarily go for them. But it turned out that they're doing pretty well. I mean, each one of them has got in the region of 3,000 plus views. And I only streamed them in the last three days. So they are getting the views, or at least the initial views... Will they get as popular as previous high ups in the top 100? I mean, I think I had like 10,000 plus views or something like that for the last 10 to 1 and that. So I don't know if it will get quite that high, but maybe time will tell. I mean, it's literally been like a day since, well, not even a day. It's less than 24 hours since I did the last uh, video on it. So we'll see how numbers progress, but they turned out well and people enjoyed them. So there's a chance I might reverse it next year so that I do live stream for like say the first 70 games and then do pre-recorded for the last three because most people tune into those three or maybe i'll just live stream all 10 oh sorry bit my lip there um or live stream all 10 of them i mean that could work who knows i'm kind of a uh, curious as to whether that would work uh, but you know i wouldn't mind getting your guys opinion on that one so yep the ooh. Camera is a little bit on the slanted side there, but then that's because I've had to reset this after doing the uh, solo play. So we'll just have to go with it and see how it does. <clears throat> but yeah, quite a bit done on the channel. So what's the plans for the channel in the future? Well, Tekenu is reviewed and rendered. So that will air on Wednesday, my review for that game pre-recorded. I am going to try and do a live stream of Root where I do the digital play. I'm going to go through the tutorials and learn the game completely as a newbie and see how that goes. I also want to do a live stream of a review, actually. I want to try something different. Um, Alma Mater, I've got that game in the other room. It's ready to review. But 
because of doing lots of video content, I you know, I, I want to get that review done at some point. So I'm going to experiment with a live review. People on the chat yesterday night were quite keen on it. And basically I go through the detail review process, so duration is a play, but interact with the chat while I'm doing it. So the chat can ask questions about the game, about what I'm saying, and then I can respond to them. So we just basically spend a full 30 to 40 minutes talking about nothing but the game in question. No other side questions, just the game. And I give my verdict at the end and then head off the stream. I don't think any other creator has done this. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, they do live plays, they do playthroughs, and then they may do like a, yeah, they may do a preview of a game live, they may play through a game live, but I don't see many people review the game live. You know, that's something a little bit different. Uh, but that should be pretty sweet. Um, top 10s are going to resume, so top 10s will be back on the cards. Don't worry, you know, now that the top 100 is done, we're going to go back to some top 10 lists. And I will do a mix of pre-recorded, live, and podcast top 10s. You know, I might even cover pop culture topics on the podcast, maybe, and then use uh, pre-recorded and live. Well, or, or, I don't know, I'll mix and match. I'll mix it up for you guys. But the first one on the cards is top 10 Ticket to Ride sets. That has been highly requested. I am going to definitely do that one. So what sets and expansions and maps do I think are the best things for Ticket to Ride? You'll find out. And then there's a few other ideas that my $5 and up Patreons are floating my way. Basically, if you are in my Patreon campaign and you spend $5 a month to support the channel, you get to vote on the order of upcoming top 10 lists as well as put forward your ideas for future lists that I will may or may not use depending on how like viable they are but essentially i get my ideas from the patreon so thank you for those who do that helps to support the channel but of course anybody who subscribes to my patreon regardless of the tier level is helping to support the channel and i thank you all so yeah there's quite a bit coming i'm even thinking of some equipment upgrades you know the solo plays are all well and good doing it off my mobile phone but Sadly, I can't do any other camera. I have to use the mobile phone, but it's it'll be interesting to see if I can get some other audio. I've got a Lavalier mic, but I can't connect it to my phone because it doesn't have a 3.5 jack. Yeah, a bit of a design flaw, but if I can get an adapter, I can give it a go. Failing that, I'm thinking of getting a H1 Zoom voice recorder to position on a tripod next to me while I'm doing the solo play, I can record my voice directly to the receiver and the audio on that will be better than what I get on my phone, but the phone could always be a backup audio. That's a tempting prospect. As for the streams, I like the webcam, I like the microphone I've got here, but I am considering getting a Streamlabs, uh, no, is it an Elgato Stream Deck? It's got a bunch of buttons on it and you can put things on the screen, sound effects, or just have things triggered by the push of a button rather than having to do a mouse and click like I currently do. I'm still weighing up whether that's a viable thing to have, but we'll see. So yeah, plenty of plans, plenty of plans, but with the top 100 done, I can relax. A little bit, you know, it does It does get quite a lot off my mind. In fact, oh, in fact, another additional thing I'm doing, uh, Lizard Den, um, Jacob from Lizard Den has got in contact saying that he wants to, well, he wants me to sort of do some videos on his playmats. He does some very good playmats, both functional and great in artwork. And he's willing to sort of like send me a bunch of mats if I can showcase them in some solo vids or accessorized videos. And it's like, Okay, cool. That would be sweet because it would be nice to have something more than just my red tablecloth, you know, for the my red felt on the gaming table for the backdrop. If I can use a playmat as well, it'll make it look better. And because yeah, hey, I love playmats, you know me. So lots on the cards. Lots on the cards. Can't wait to get it into operation. So 
on with the proper idea of the show. Well, I got a couple of reviews, maybe two or three little reviews and first impressions I want to go through, and then I want to talk very quickly about some of the LCGs that I play. So going first into the review side of things, very quickly I'm going to go into Village Green. So this Village Green is a card game that literally just came out of nowhere for me. I mean, I know next to nothing about... Village Green beforehand, it just turned up on one of Z Garcia's reviews, and I thought, you know what, I had a voucher for a website, and I thought I'd spend the last bit of the voucher on Village Green, a small card game, game of pretty gardens and petty grudges. Petty grudges seems a little bit of a misnomer for this game, and you're not really doing a lot to interact with other players here. You know, In fact, the multiplayer, I would say, is kind of the weak link of this game, it's very much more of a multiplayer solitaire game that isn't a huge amount of interaction. So I think Petty Grudges is a little bit like, a, yeah, I don't see where that's coming from. Although the idea that you're trying to win the Village Green Award kind of reminds me of Hot Fuzz with the, you know, everyone, they're so desperate to win the Best Village Award. The greater good. You know, it's, it just works like that. It just, hmm, I'm thinking this card game is kind of like a spin-off for it. But Village Green is a very small, very short card game. Like, a very small and very short card game. The idea being that... Uh, somebody's gone to town with the uh, treats in this picture. But very simply, you're building up a 4x4 four four grid of cards in front of you. Nine of which will be the garden, and the surrounding bits will be your village, and the award cards. And the awards are how you're getting points. It is basically a puzzle game. Now, I've only played the multiplayer a couple of times, and I think it's okay, but... Pretty much what I'm about to describe to you in the solo mode is 90% of how the multiplayer works. So, you know, go with that. But this is, I, I bought this mainly as a solo puzzle. And as a solo game, it is short as you can get. I mean, you can set this game up in about two minutes, if that. You know, and that's probably when reading the rules to the book. If you know what you're doing, you can pretty much set this up in 30 seconds. It's such a quick setup. All you've got is... Those two stacks of cards, one for the garden, one for the awards. You've got your village, you put three awards to the right of it, and there you are, go. Oh, dish yourself a hand of free cards. It's so quick. But the game itself is just a nice, pleasant, charming puzzle game. The artwork is beautiful. It is like hand-drawn, almost like watercolor-style paint artwork of all these different garden features, lawns and trees and flowers and ponds and little structures like fountains it looks gorgeous i mean i would love to walk around these actual village greens it would be pretty sweet but the idea is is that you either draw from the green cards or the purple cards a face up or a face down one and then you place a card of that type in your grid if you place an award card you've got to place it around the edge of your grid so the uh, well you've already dealt yourself three award cards in the solo game whereas in the multiplayer it's slightly different but you can put like an award card down the down the left-hand side column as well. And then the garden cards you place within the grid, the other nine cards. But each row and column is going to score based on the award card that's represented by it. And they all score in lots of different ways. It's almost like point salad in a respect. But you're restricted on where you can put your garden cards. Because as soon as you put a garden card down, if there's any garden cards adjacent to it, you can't put yours down unless it matches either the color or the flower of every adjacent card. And you don't have to put them in any specific order. You can put one in that corner, one in that corner, then one in the other corner. You know, but when you start putting them adjacent to each other, you have that restriction. So you're left with these very tough choices of what you can do but not a particularly complex game. It makes for a very nice like 10 to 15 minute puzzle game. 
However, one problem that you do have with the game is that it is quite luck heavy. You know, you can be just at the mercy of the deck sometimes, drawing from the top of it, and sometimes you just draw the award cards and they've got nothing to do with what you're doing, or the garden cards you draw just don't fit with what you're trying to do. There is a heavy dose of luck. But at the end of the day, the the object of the game is just simply to get as many points as you can and beat your score, and it's a 10-minute game. You know, if you know what you're doing, you're not chatting to a camera or anything, it is 10 minutes to play this game. Is a bit of luck really such a problem? I don't think it's really quite that big a deal, but it's just very nice and very pleasant and very cheap. If you want to play it as a multiplayer, you can, but it is slightly different in the rules and slightly and a bit multiplayer solitaire, but it goes up to five players and it will be a 30 minute filler at most if you play it with multiple players and it will just be a nice charming game, but I think this game sell, you know, sings well as... Oh, great. Somebody's going to have my head for that one. Um, I keep saying it sings to me or something like that quite often, I find. But it's just a nice, charming, pleasant game. I would give it probably a... Well, as a multiplayer game, I'd probably only give it about a 6 out of 10. I'd give it a 7 out of 10 for a solo game, though, because I think this plays better as a solo game. Just a nice, quick puzzle. Dish it out. Dish it quick. Travel with it. And does the job. As a filler game though for 30 minutes, I can think of a lot of games on my shelf I'd rather play as a filler. So, but then the rules of this are very simple, so you could, you know, you could at least take it that. The other flaw I do have though, I will stipulate is that the graphic design could have been improved. You've got the different flowers and the colors in the top left of the card, as you can see, but the yellow is incredibly difficult to picture what shape and flower it is until you bring the card up close. Why they didn't just use another color? I mean, you had blue and red. They could have picked a different color, a very bright orange. Maybe they could have done an outline around the flower so that yellow stood out more. Maybe they could have just literally done a green shape. I mean, it is green. I know there's a lot of green already, but... I mean, it's red and purple. Why didn't you do a blue? I know, a light blue. That would have been better. I just, I think, I don't know what, how that got through playtesting, but apparently that's just the way. But yeah, six or seven out of 10, I'd say for Village Green. It's a nice cheap filler. Pick it up if it takes your fancy. Ah, keep the drink coming. All right, next up, I want to talk very quickly about... Quirky Circuits. Quirky Circuits is a game from Plaid Hat designed by Nikki Valens. Uh, it came out in 2019, so this is not the most recent game in the world, but Quirky Circuits is a kind of, it's. I would say it's more of a kid's game than it is an adult game. Yes, adults can play it, but I don't think adults are going to get any benefit really from this game, apart from the fact they can play it with their children. Suitable for eight and up, I'd say you could probably understand it if you were younger than that even, possibly, but it's very cutesy. Essentially, you've got these four different robots here. You've got the sushi chef, a bee, dog, and a cat. There's this um, booklet. You know, Pladat loves their books now. <laughs> you know, And it's a spiral-bound book. You open it, and it's got maps and lots of different little scenarios that take no more than 30 minutes to play each one. If you're quick enough, probably only take you about 15, 20 minutes to play each one. I mean, they are super short. Even some of the more involved ones will probably only take 25 minutes max. But it's a programming game, and it borrows some elements from the mind. And this is a both a good and bad thing for this game. 
good it is a simple game i mean the rule book is about three pages long and one of that is a setup and one of that is credits i think so it's really an easy game to play pick up and play you could put this in a game cafe easily enough in fact i might even oh no i don't want to donate this to the cafe because a friend of mine has asked me for this game so i might donate it to them afterwards but uh yeah i think they did ask first so i think i'll donate it to my mate but this quirky circuit is basically a programming game. So you sit around and you have a task. So let's say the first scenario, you've got this cute little cat on a hoover. Those, one of those little round hoover things that go around the place. And the idea is, is that you've got to mop up these dust bunnies. I mean, it's cutesy, it's kitty, it's just nice and charming. But you basically got to go around and hoover them up. Okay, so it gives you a little map with some obstacles, walls and furniture, and the little dust bunnies. And each of you plays cards to program the movement of the bot. The problem is you're not allowed to communicate with each other. So again, things like the mind. And it's like, well, how on earth do you know what you're doing then? Well, you play a card in turn and you play it face down and the only clue that your opponent, sorry, your opponent, your, it's a co-op. So the only clue that your fellow players have is the back of the card indicates if it's a movement card or some other type of card. So somebody places a movement card and it's like, all right, you want to move it, but where are you moving it to? Because that movement card could be turn, it could be backwards, it could be forwards, one or two, it varies. So you've got to sort of get into your like teammate's mind thinking, hmm, if you've played a movement card, are you expecting to move it forward? So maybe on that basis, I'll play this card to follow up nicely. And then once you've got them all, they reveal and then you move it and collide into walls and hilarity ensues, sort of. It's The problem with this game is that it's, I mean, it is very simplistic. This is a very simple game, not necessarily to win, but it's a very simple game in its operation and how it works. Okay, cool. But I don't think gamers will get a lot from this. I mean, I found it okay. I found it cute, but this is not something I'm going to whip out and play over any other programming game. I mean, even Magic Maze would probably get more plays from me than this one, really. But if you are a family and you've got kids... This could be a really good way to get them into programming games because it's a very simple one. I'd say it's one of the simplest programming games out there. And the cutesy theme with the cat and the dog and the little sushi having the bee and dust bunnies will appeal visually to kids from an aesthetic perspective. But the problem also is the mind aspect. I didn't like the game The Mind with the whole you can't communicate with anybody. So you basically just play a number and hope it's right. I mean, I hate The Mind with a passion. But some games, like The Crew, have taken this concept and worked better with it. This one is good and bad depending on the player count. If you are playing this with two players, then it's not that bad because you can kind of get into a good sync with, you know, your, your buddy and sort of go, right, well, they've done that, I should do this, which means I should do that and then that should do that. And you can get into this nice like team state where you're, you're doing the occasional mistake, but you're not doing too bad. So two players can win some of the time and lose some of the time, depending. When you add to the player count, though, it becomes far more chaotic, especially in four players. This is way too chaotic with four players. You are putting cards down, and because you can't communicate, there's only so much you can do, which means that you half the time you win in the four-player game, it feels like complete fluke. Because there is no way you can predict three other players' worth of cards. Especially if you're the last one in order. But you'll just find that the thing goes zooming around and colliding into everything. And it's just like, well, this is just random. What's the point? 
Now, granted, this is mainly for children and it's a simple game and it's cutesy. So you're meant to kind of laugh at the hilarity of the fact that your robot goes all over the place and doesn't like hit anything. But again, this is not the game I would want to play. And I think I'm just not the target audience, clearly. I mean, look at the cover. The cover is nice, but, you know, would you ever assume that I'm the sort of person who's going to play this? And I probably should show you some more pictures, actually. I'm sorry, I haven't. So here you've got the card. So, I mean, again, cutesy artwork. So you've got cat moving forward. You've got cat turning sideways. You've got the cat moving forward twice. And it's very clear iconography and very nice pictures. And there you see the back of the card just gives you a clue of what type of movement it is. So that card, for example, is telling you it's going to move forward or back. How much though? This one says it's going to turn, turn left or turn right. You know, and this one's going to be a question mark. Is that what on earth is it going to do? And it's a double movement. So you only get so much of a clue. But the book itself, it's very good quality. It's visually appealing. And as, as you can see from the book, it tells you all the rules you need on the left page. You've got the map on the right page. There's your cards. Very straightforward. You've got a certain amount of turns to get it done. Do it. And, you know, each of the robots, you know, does different things like lefty a sushi chef here has to pick up with both hands and prepare sushi although you try playing the sushi chef with four players it's an absolute nightmare so it does the job for a nice cutesy programming game but i would say it's definitely for kids this is definitely a kids game with families so parents with their young children gamers are not going to care about this gamers aren't going to be playing this on game night i'm not going to be playing it unless there's kids involved you know it's just not my type it's not my type of game anyway programming games but even then a cutesy game like this i mean i'm not going to pull this out for a 30 minute filler again i'll pull some other stuff out for 30 minutes i just think this has got it's got its audience it's good for families and i do recommend trying it for families you know young young players new players families perfect give this one a try but if you're more in my position where you're not often playing with kids you're playing with other gamers there's other games i would rather play but hard to say i mean I would, i'd give it probably a five out of ten from my personal perspective it's like I, I like it it's fine but it's just not it's nothing more than an average programming game for me but i have played this with kids you know, my friend has kids and I've played it with them and they have done, they've enjoyed it. The kids have loved it. You know, they've had a good laugh with it. And I think for families, I would certainly give this like a seven out of 10 for that particular audience. But yeah, you've got to be in, you've got to be that audience. Otherwise, I don't think this is going to work for you. And then finally, before I get on to my little discussion topic, I want to go on to Marvel Champions The Once and Future Kang Scenario Pack. So why am I talking about this? Well, A, I've just played it, so it's fresh in my mind. Ugh, take a swig of tea there. But I kind of just wanted to talk roughly about how the scenario plays and what I thought of it. Because I love Marvel Champions. It was in my top 30 games and the top 100. It is no surprise. But The Once and Future Kang, I know nothing about Kang apart from what I've looked up occasionally on Wikipedia. So if this is going to be the big bad for the next phase of the MCU, sign me up because I want to see this in action. I mean, time travel and all this technology, I think this will be a nice change of pace from Thanos, who was awesome, but still, I'm up for more MCU, please, if we could actually get some stuff. Now, the way that Kang works is it's a multi-scenario, well, it's a multi-phase match. It's one match, not a campaign. 
but this guy has been through time and space, has all the technology in the world, and is also all about temporal travel. So the match is kind of split up into three main segments. You've got the first segment, Kang's arrival. Turns up, don't let him get through the scheme, beat him off. Okay, fine. Doosh, 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 do. Standard setup there. But then what happens is as soon as that happens, he, he sucks you all into a big time portal and splits you across time and space. And so each player has their own game area where they've got their own Kang villain and their own like minions and bits like that to deal with. So these pictures you can see here are the various like Iron Lad, Immortus, Scarlet Centurion and Ramatut and all that lot. And... I think in my game I had Scarlet Centurion with my Captain America deck and Rama Tut for my Hawkeye deck. I was playing two-handed. Uh, more on that in a bit, though. And each one had to deal with its own main villain as well as whatever cards came out into play. And it was interesting. It was very different because you can't support each other. Normally in a two-player game, you can go, right, well, I'll kill your minion. All right, well, I'll defend this against you. Nope, you're on your own. You gotta deal with this villain by yourself, and for some decks, that can be pretty tough. This is definitely not an easy scenario, and you can still play it on expert mode and put in harder modular sets, and it's like, how much harder do you want this game to be? Seriously. I just, I, I don't like playing this game on expert mode. Honestly, I don't like expert mode. If I win, then I class it as a cool deck. It's not like any villain is so easy, I'll beat them every single time I play them, especially if I'm trying out an unusual deck idea. But I want to have fun playing the game. I don't want it to beat me down relentlessly. Well, I suppose you could play some of the basic ones like Claw and Rhino on Expert, but some of the other scenarios are pretty hard. I mean, anybody trying to play Green Goblin, the mutagen formula on Expert, you're you're... You are a masochist, mate. <laughs> but back to the Kang bit. So each of you then knocks out this particular villain. Stop the scheme from going forward and, you know, knock him out. Now, you don't lose the game if you don't fret out. It, sorry, if you don't stop the scheme from uh, fretting out. Instead, you go to the next game area and it just makes the final phase harder by it you know you won't be able to damage Kang for a while and stuff like that because he's basically won you over in time and space but as soon as each of you deals with your individual Kang person you then go to the final part which has you know Kang the Conqueror in his third form coming up and you just beat him down but he's got a lot of hit points and he instantly brings out your nemesis minions whoa I didn't expect that and I thought right my guys are all kitted up. I've got all my cards. Let's do it. And then suddenly I had to deal with uh, Crossfire and Baron Zemo. And it's like, oh my God. <laughs> it was a bit of a pain. But once I got them out of the way, boom, I obliterated him and killed him. So it's like, yay, I win. But whew, it was a bit of a slog. This is a longer scenario than any of the other scenarios in Marvel Champions. You know, you've got to go through three different Kangs, and bearing in mind the second Kang is multiple people with their own individual Kang. You know, you don't all go to the final phase until everybody's finished. So it can take a long time, especially if you're playing solo two-handed. But it's a neat concept. I mean, this is an example of the game area here. So you've got this one uh, quest. What was it? Quest? I'm getting confused with games. You know, this one little scenario bit here that says everybody meets here eventually, but then each player has got their own villain and own scheme, their own stuff, and they've got to deal with everything from, uh, you know, obligations that, and you know, get in your way to, in my case, even having to deal with a T-Rex. Yep, that T-Rex came at the worst possible time in one of my games, and I had to basically go, you know what? Uh, kill it. <laughs> kill the Rex right now. 
But it's just really cool how this stuff happens. Now, the scenario is great fun. I think it's a really good fun scenario and I think I, I, I will love to play it more often. You've got modular sets you can add to it. So it starts off with the easier set difficulty four. You can add a difficulty six or difficulty eight modular set in, which makes it harder. You can even play this guy on expert mode. I think you are a massive masochist if you play this guy on expert mode because I just can't imagine anything that would be more harder because believe me, this guy really does throw a lot at you. <laughs> so, you know, this encounter deck is pretty savage at times. But it's a really good fun play. Now, it's not all great though. There is a problem with this scenario and a lot of it just comes down to the way the mechanics work. This whole game area thing. The FAQ for this pack is going to be quite substantial because I must have asked about four or five different questions as I was playing this going, so hang on, so if they finish before this guy, this guy is defeated. So does that mean the villain's gone and they just sit in limbo while the other one finishes their game area? Hang on, how does this work? Is this guy attacking? Uh, do it as a scheme for... There's a lot of questions you ask. And there's not a decent FAQ out for it. So you kind of have to just make up your own mind as to how it works. This really needed a more substantial rule book with it to go over some of these key points. Because the cards are not good enough wording. Some of them even contradict each other, which is like, okay, how is that supposed to work? So I'm going to be asking some questions on BGG later today. But yeah, just... It did make it a little bit frustrating. Once you get those rules in your head, then this will play out a lot smoother. But I think your first game of this is going to be quite long, quite a slog, quite a learning curve, and quite a difficult game. But all good fun. I, I still think it's a really cool scenario, and I think it's going to be one of the most thematic and flavorful scenarios that we get. And it's just going to get me psyched up for more Kang in the MCU. So overall, I think the pack would get a... I think the pack gets a 9 out of 10 for me, actually. I mean, this is a really good, fun scenario. It's got good replay value with two extra modular sets, and these modular sets can be put into other games as well. So you can mix and match with the normal basic encounter sets, so it's just added more replay value there. You can play this guy in expert mode if you're a complete, you know, crazy fool. And, you know, you can try solo, two-handed, four-player, although I think you kind of miss the point of the scenario if you play this true solo, but there's nothing stopping you from doing it. But seriously, I would rather play this two-handed, I think, rather than solo. It's just, it loses a point because of the ambiguous wording and the FAQ nonsense with it. But otherwise, it's a fantastic scenario. So, are we looking for time? We're on to half an hour. Okay, I just want to talk very briefly then about some of the LCGs I have. So in my, well, let's actually stay on. Oh, I need to go back to Marvel Champions. Where's Marvel Champions? Well, we'll get to there in a sec. But basically, I just want to talk about the LCGs because people mention that, oh, yeah, you like a lot of these LCGs, don't you, on my top 100? Well, yeah, I love LCGs. The LCGs are fantastic. You know, they are they are my kind of game. Yeah, I love these card games. They expand with more content. They don't get stale because you can always bring out new stuff. But I don't play Netrunner or Star Wars or the I only played that briefly or the the weird 40k one or the Game of Thrones one or the others because they had some flaws with the way they were distributed. I didn't like. I did love Netrunner, but Power Creep got in the way. The problem with competitive LCGs is that if you they the problem is is that they the power creep gets you if you don't keep up with the card play and the tournament scene and all that lot you'll fall behind and your cards will just become redundant and 
I hate tournaments because as soon as you go into a tournament, people take it too seriously. So I always stick with the co-op LCGs. You can play at your own pace. You don't have to buy every card in the set. You can just take it at your own time. People are willing to help because nobody's going to have bad blood over helping you get better at the game when it's a team effort. So co-ops, always the way. And I play three different ones. Arkham Horror, the card game, Lord of the Rings, the card game, and Marvel Champions, the card game. These names can't get any more uh, original, can they? Why have they got to be called The Card Game? Why can't it just be called Marvel Champion? Well, Marvel Champions, the LCG? Or why don't you just call it Marvel Champions and say an LCG game or something? You know, I just think The Card Game is a bit of a weird thing to tack on to the end. Ah, but 10 out of 10s for all three of them. Not going to tell you where they are in my top 100. You'll have to go watch my top 100 episodes to find out. But they're all 10 out of 10 games, so I can tell you they're certainly in the top half of the list. But, whew, love them. But what I want to talk about here is that as much as I love these free LCGs, they're not flawless. No game is ever flawless. And I just want to mention a little caveat that you should bear in mind if you're thinking about getting into these free games. So, you know, these not so much flaws of the game, some people not even might think of these as flaws, but I definitely think you should bear this in mind if you're thinking, oh, which game should I try? Should I try out this one or this one? So let's start off with Marvel Champions for the moment. Marvel Champions is the most infant one of the lot. You know, it's been out for less time. There's less cards for it, but the, there are some issues with that. Firstly, the distribution for this game has been slightly horrendous. The packs come out, they sell out like hotcakes, and then it becomes really hard to get the packs. They will constantly get reprinted, but because Fantasy Flight doesn't seem to understand the meaning of print in bulk, they, they sell out and then you have to wait a while for those packs, or spend the ends of the earth to try and find them elsewhere. Now, they are getting restocked, and if you want them in the UK, there are lots of online retailers that stock them, but I highly recommend Board Game Extras as my source and if you can subscribe to a subscription service for these sort of things especially for marvel champions i highly recommend you do so because you pay up front but then you don't have to worry about oh i better be on the mark when the next pack comes out no you just get it sent to you when the thing arrives of course they could screw over the retailer but then that's their fault not yours so well not the retailer's fault it's ffg's fault at least you don't have to realize that oh i missed it oh i can't have it because if the retailer gets screwed well then everybody gets screwed <laughs> you know that's just the way so Marvel Champions can have that bit of an annoyance. Uh, I'm trying to think of the other thing that it might have against it, though. It's, I mean, it works fine solo. It works fine. Uh, well, actually, hmm, maybe that's the other flaw. With this one, it can be quite tough. I mean, some of these scenarios are very tough to beat, even though you, they do have an expert mode if you are a bit of a masochist. But it's apparent that... Caleb and a few of the others who designed this game don't play taste they don't play test this in solo mode. Yes, you can play this solo, but for the most part, they design everything to be played with at least two players. And two players is probably the best way to play this game. I mean, I like to play solo decks, but then I can play two-handed and it doesn't take too much longer. But yeah, some of the scenarios in solo mode can be a little bit on the tough side. So ideally, you want to play this two-handed or, you know, have a friend with you. But it's just a bit weird that they wouldn't playtest this kind of thing, considering a lot of the fan base is solo mode. So you would think it would stick to solo mode. But 
Marvel Champions is still a great game. And aside from those couple of little caveats you should be aware of, it's still really good, really good fun if you are a Marvel fan and want a good co-opted game. So moving on to Lord of the Rings, the card game. Lord of the Rings, the card game, it is... You know, being this is the oldest one of the lot. I mean, there is so much content for it out. They've actually now just released the last pack in the cycle and said, we're taking a break. That is how much content there is. Now, of course, you don't have to buy all the content. You can just take your time, take your time and wait. It'll be fine. Just go at your own pace, buy the earlier stuff, and then just progress at your own pace. Why do you need all the content right now when you were nowhere near going to have the time to play it all? But Lord of the Rings does have a couple of caveats as well. Firstly, like I said, there is a lot of content for this game and you might be overwhelmed by how much you can get. Again, start off simple, start off with the early stuff and just progress at your own pace. Don't get overwhelmed thinking you need to buy every single card pack out there. The other caveat with Lord of the Rings though is that this is hard. Oh my word. If you think the other two games are hard, the Lord of the Rings, the card game is on a whole extra level, especially the future sets. Like the most recent cycle I've been playing has been some of the hardest Lord of the Rings I've ever seen to the point where it's not as enjoyable. The difficulty curve is just like, boom, is stupidly vertical and is basically a sheer cliff. And as a result, it can feel very punishing because... With Marvel Champions, you know, you get through the scenario, it might beat you down, but, you know, you, you feel like you had an epic time doing it and the game won't take as long if it does beat you down, I guess, or if it does beat you down, it doesn't feel like, oh, you didn't stand a chance. With the Arkham game, we'll get onto a bit later, there are ways to mitigate the fact that it can be quite tough, but this one, if you lose, you lose. You lose the scenario, you just lose the scenario. There's no, like, get-out clause or anything, so you have to repeat the scenario in order to say, I've completed it. Or you just do what I do and skip it and say, move on. But, yeah, some of those scenarios are just really difficult, particularly when you try solo or multiplayer with some of the scenarios. Some of the scenarios just hurt you like crazy in multiplayer, but then there are some scenarios in the game which are just impossible to beat solo. And one irritation I have is that this doesn't have a campaign setting other than the campaign mode uh, that you can play through with the Saga expansions. They're really cool and really thematic, but be aware. With Marvel Champions, it's not campaign-based. Play the scenario, win it or lose it. With Arkham Horror, it's a campaign. So you play, you level up experience, you get better cards, and you use the same deck throughout. Here, though... Ideally, you want to use the same deck throughout a cycle because thematically it makes more sense. You're progressing through the story. The problem is some scenarios are so tough that the only way to physically beat the scenarios is to gear up with a specific deck type and go against it. So all of a sudden, your Hobbit deck that you've used for part of the scenario then suddenly has to change to a, a Swarm Dwarf deck because all of a sudden your Hobbit deck just can't possibly beat the next scenario. That can be quite irritating if you're one of these people who loves the thematic decks like I do. I get by it. I usually do a lot of scenarios standalone now rather than care about the campaign. Certainly now I'm not going to care so much about campaigns because, well, I've got all the packs. I can do what I like with it. But yeah, it's a bit of an irritation at first. So like I say, be aware the difficulty curve of this game is really, really high. And of course, FFG's distribution model might hurt you as well. And then finally, the caveats with Arkham Horror, the card game. Arkham Horror, the card game is really good. I mean, well, of course it's really good. It's in my top 100, but 
But this is definitely the LCG you want if you want a horror setting and you like Cthulhu. It does the trick. It's all about the, you know, all about the car, I'm sorry, all about the narrative, the story. It's done really well in this case. You've got lots of different investigators now, all the different cycles. I mean, it's not been out for crazy length of time, but they've been releasing a lot of content out for it to the point where I think we're on our sixth cycle. Three, four, five, six. Yeah, I think we're on a sixth cycle now. And there's standalone scenarios as well. So there's plenty of content. Again, start early, go through it chronologically, go at your own pace. But you need to bear something in mind with this game. Uh, part of it is the difficulty curve. The difficulty curve is not too bad. There's, I wouldn't say this game is stupidly tough. I mean, it's tough, but compared to Lord of the Rings, no. You can play this on multiple difficulties easy standard hard and expert i don't know why you would play this on expert i think you'd have to be crazy hard i still think is crazy i usually play this on standard but sometimes i play it on easy mode as well and people were like well why do we play it on easy mode you know weakling there's a good reason why to play it on easy mode this game is mainly about the narrative playing through the story is more fun than trying to beat the hard difficulties and the thing is it's not like when you play a video game in harder difficulties, yeah, the opponents are a bit tougher and they hit for more damage, but I, I hate it when the difficulty is curved up like that because that just feels like a cheap shot to basically go, well, it's harder because the stats are increased. Yeah. I like it when the enemy AI can be better in those ones. Like the enemy AI is dumb as bricks and you're in the easy difficulties, but then when you play it on hard mode, they start flanking you and doing much better stuff. I like that kind of difficulty increase. Of course, that's incredibly hard to do in a video game, but you know, it happens. And I suppose in a video game, I don't mind it as much. But in these sort of games, I do more. But here though, it's not like the game gets better stats. The cards don't get any worse. What happens is that the chaos bag gets worse. And this is my one niggle with Arkham Harder card game, using this chaos bag. Because you draw tokens out of the bag, it's the modifier for your skill tests, and there you go. Upping the difficulty simply puts worse tokens in the bag. But drawing out of the bag is a random occurrence. So even on easy mode, yes, there's more better tokens in there like there's less of the horrendous negatives but in the higher difficulties the horrendous negatives are basically fails like there's no way you should be able to easily get that much modifier for a skill test in those scenarios it's just too much but even in an easy mode you could still pull the worst tokens constantly there's an auto fail token regardless of the difficulty you might pull that three times in a row did the difficulty matter no Expert mode, easy mode. I could still pull the auto fail three times in a row and it would screw me over because the scenario does not give you extra time. You know, in easy difficulty, it does not take it away from you. The bosses and enemies are not any harder. They're still the same stats. So all you're doing is skewing the odds for a random bag modifier. On that basis, I'm almost at the point where I just want to play this on easy mode and enjoy the narrative. But occasionally, I, but for the most part, I play it on standard because it gives me a good balance of the challenge versus the, you know, the, yeah, challenge versus the narrative. And with this, when you play it in campaign mode, even if you fail a scenario, you don't necessarily lose the campaign. It just means you don't get as many bonuses before you head into the next one. So there is that advantage. But 
yeah, be aware that this random modifier with the difficulty rating is a little bit on the weird side. You know, don't be ashamed to come into this and play on easy mode if it gets you the most enjoyment. Right, whew. With all that being said, I think we're good to wrap this up. We're on to 43 minutes. Yep, I think that's good for this podcast episode. Bit of a random topic, but I kind of just wanted to cover it after talking a lot about the LCGs over the past few days. And so I figured now was a good time to do it. But uh, I'm all up for suggestions of what you'd like me to discuss on this podcast. Obviously, I'll give you channel updates. I will give you reviews and first impressions of games. But if there are some particular topics you want me to discuss, then send some ideas my way and I'll certainly give them, keep them in mind. But uh, for now, I've got some dinner to make. I need to edit this podcast. And then it's Stellaris Night Tonight. So uh, with that said, I'm going to le- love you and leave you. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'll check you out on the next episode. And always remember, it's only a game. Take care and stay safe. And I'll see you next time.